Hey, how you doing today? You sound good, but you don't look very good. What? No, I'm just kidding. You look great, marvelous. As you find your seats there, I want to uh, celebrate. We get to receive new members. We received four last service, and uh, we are going to receive the following. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to come up, stand probably right here along the front of the stage, and don't fall. Uh, we just had a young little boy break his arm last service, and uh, yeah, you know, that happens with little kids. Sorry, I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't have said that, but uh, well, a teach, no, um, he, he was just coming off the slide, and instead of going down the slide, jumped over the side, you know, it's a boy thing, and uh, so, so yeah, just make sure we don't want any broken legs or anything up here. And um, he's doing good. His parents took him. We had an, oh, man. Yeah, I know it. Man, life is tough. Okay, stay, boy, stay. Okay. Uh, Here's the members that we get to receive today. Uh, Lisa Contreras, Carrie Lind. It should be on those. Okay, uh, Lisa Contreras, uh, Carrie Lind, Denise LaVisca, uh, Russ and Kate Mignani, Kathy Mitchell, Marilyn Mota, uh, Josh and Kelly Sealander, and Lori Butler. Come on up. No, it's just right here. It's good, good, good. Yeah, just make yourself at home, wherever you want to stand. Just get close. Stay in the light so everybody can see you guys. Yeah, see what I deal with every week now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as easy as you think. So we want to welcome these wonderful people. One of the things that the Bible talks about, Paul said to the church of Galatia, uh, Galatians chapter 2, he said, extend the right hand of fellowship to those who are in your midst. And that's one of the things that we do. Uh, membership is one of those things that I believe is always important for people to engage in uh, for this reason, because it kind of, quote, ramps up your commitment. If you study the scriptures, the things that people were committed to were the things that they mostly grow in. Remember Samson, as long as he was committed to the vows that he made to God, he did great. It was at a point that he compromised those vows that his life started to kind of slip. And I see that over the years with people. Uh, that you know, it's just it just takes one little compromise here and there, and pretty soon you're slipping. And there's something about membership that says we're aligning our hearts with what God's doing here. They've been through membership, they've heard us, they've seen us, they've asked questions about us, and so these people stand here and say, you know what, we believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, that God has placed us in this body, and this is our way of saying amen. And you go, well, why would anybody want to become a member? Uh, So you could lose all your privileges, good parking spots, (laughs) learn to serve, give money, and uh, be obedient to God's calling. And that's why a lot of people don't become members. But that's also the reason why a lot of people become members, because they say, you know what, we want to do what God wants us to do. And we are thrilled when somebody says our heart is in alignment with theirs. And so now what these people also get to do, they get to today, we have an annual business meeting, and they're going to be able to um, uh, vote on the budget for next year and anything else that we have. They get to be part of the choosing of the next affirming of the next council member, members that we're going to be presenting in the season ahead. So there's responsibilities with it. And, uh, but there's also great privilege to have a say in what God does in our church. So that's why we do this. I want you to um, pray with me as we receive these people in kind of this next step of their relationship. It's interesting, some of them have been here probably for 40 years, off and on, and uh, Lori Butler. (laughs) She was a member a long time ago, and then she went and moved south and blah, blah, blah. And then we got a lot of people here are new people. It's interesting. The last 
uh, we just had uh, class 101 a couple of weeks ago, and it's interesting, almost everybody in that class is either becoming a member today or said they're going to at some point, and uh, I think that's a first, so it's kind of cool, and because uh, I think it's just saying something about what God's doing uh, in this next season of Creekside, and uh, I'm excited for it. So, um, I, uh, let me see if I, uh, I'm not even going to try and do the names because that is bad. Okay, I will. But I'm going to use my cheat sheet. doesn't mean I don't remember who you are. I just don't want to forget. Okay? Uh, Denise Laviska, raise your hand so we all know. Uh, Kate and uh, uh, Russ Mignani and Lori Butler, uh, Marilyn Moda. Is it Moda or Mata? Mata. What's a Mata? What's a Mata, Melon? <laughs> you don't say my name right. That's what's a Mata. Uh, Josh, uh, Josh and Kelly Sealander and uh, Carrie Lind. Lisa Contreras, and where's my other name? Uh, Kathy Mitchell. I got every, did I get everybody right? Okay. I'm just thrilled that you're joining and being a part of us. Thanks for already being a part of us. We are excited. And um, when I'm done praying, you're going to have the opportunity to have a love fest with uh, our council and their, st- our, their wives and our staff. And here's what I want to do before I pray. Let's do this. So let's get a big group hug. Because usually... <laughs> Usually I hug everybody. So love you guys. Welcome to Creekside. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing here. Amen? Amen. Welcome. Usually I hug everybody, but I don't have time today. So group hug. I've never done that before. That's cool. Did you get a picture of that, Freddie? boy. Let's pray. Let's welcome these fine folks. Father, we thank you, Lord, for people that you have brought to Creekside. And then, Lord, thank you for people that step up and say, Lord, we want to be a part in the membership to kind of take a next step and be a part of the decision-making and things like that. And Lord, that doesn't make them better than others. It just makes them in a different process. We want to receive them, Lord, because in all of their imperfections and our imperfections, you do a wonderful blending of lives together. And I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, let us be an incredible blessing to them, and then, Lord, let them be a blessing to this community where there's give and take and there's sharing and there's life exchanged so that we can be the expression of the bride of Jesus to this community out there. So we receive them today with uh, hearts filled with thanksgiving, and we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. In the name of Christ Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. Would you welcome these fine people to Creekside? Now, you guys can go ahead and share and kind of maybe stand up there on the make a line and just be careful. Nobody fall and twist an ankle. And if the rest of us would take our programs out, I want to, uh, if anybody starts falling, let me know. A couple of things. Hey, you guys got to keep it down just a little. Okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, remember in your program there's a food drive we do this to help families from the community that need help so we'll start bringing them here and um, if you would that would be wonderful so that we can just be a blessing to other families annual business meeting today anybody's welcome Uh, members have voice and vote member uh, non-members can come and just uh, observe what we do thanksgiving service is one of the highlights of our year That's where we have people share letters uh, of thanksgiving from the young to the old, the new. Been around a long time, so we encourage you to come carve out. It's one-hour service, and I'll guarantee you, you will be glad that you started off thanksgiving there. Baptismal class today, if you want to get baptized next Sunday, we're doing that. Uh, There's a class after service today we encourage you to go to. It'll be quick enough that uh, you won't miss the ABM and the tacos Uh, by going to that growth track next Saturday. Uh, It's called 301, but really what it is, it's just a continuation or a conclusion of the series that I'm concluding today where we we just talk about gifts, passion, help people identify some things. So it's going to be kind of a roundtable setting where there's going to be discussion and clarification. If you have one of those booklets that you picked up a few weeks ago, bring it. If you want to come and get a booklet, we'll have it there for you. But it's really to help you. Let's say, oh, man, I've heard all this. I want to serve, but I don't know where. Come and we'll try and help you, okay? So that's what that'll be. But please sign up um, if you're going to come just so we know how to plan accordingly. 
and then um, uh, annual harvest offering. Information's on the back table. This is a big part of who Creekside is. One of our values is living and growing to become a generous people, and that will be the Sunday before Thanksgiving where we receive an offering. It's the only time we ever receive a public offering, and we do it for outreach, ministries, mission, and missionaries. Okay? Any questions? Okay, good. I wasn't going to answer them anyway right now, but uh, I'm just trying to be nice, and then I'm being rude. Uh, I'm excited about this morning. I'm going to conclude the series, uh, Team Creekside, and um, I've got a friend that I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment. I've got to clean house first, and um, I want to give you a little background on him because I didn't really know this this in depth until uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, he was a senior in high school in 1966, and he was first team All-State as a baseball pitcher uh, from Napa. In 1998, uh, he transferred from Sacramento City College, where he was the Northern California Pitcher of the Year, to the University of Miami. In, at the University of Miami, he played, and uh, I believe it was his senior year, he got to pitch uh, the last out of the College World Series in the University of Miami, ended up winning. From there, he went to play for the Florida Marlins and the Oakland A's, and uh, his career uh, as a professional baseball pitcher was cut short due to a shoulder injury. Today, uh, Mike is in his second year uh, as the head baseball coach at the University of California. And as we're in this series, I wanted him to come and just, I wanted to pick his brain a little bit and have him share with you some of his experience as being a coach of a major program and some of his experiences of being part of a team and what's it mean? What are the key components of a team? Now, our history goes something like this, our personal history. Uh, I don't know, it was 10, 11, 12 years ago. um, I found out someone had said, oh, yeah, man, there's this really good baseball, good pitcher at Creekside. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't ask any other questions. And then one Sunday, him and his uh, little bride come up and we're standing right here, and we're talking, and um, they're introducing themselves, and he doesn't really say much, and he go and and, it's, and I remembered, oh yeah, you're you're the guy that pitches, right? And he goes, he goes, yeah, oh man, our church softball team could really use some help. <laughs> and uh, no kidding, and I'm a, I'm a pretty, you know, I, I keep up on sports, and I didn't know who it was. And I felt really bad about that later, but I go, wow, why don't you come out and help us? And he goes, yeah, I. I think I could probably help a little bit and uh, come out and help. He did. And um, that's one of the things I love about Mike is his incredible humility. And uh, if, if you didn't, you know, probably a lot of you don't even know who he is because he's just that way. And he doesn't promote or push himself out there. And it's been a real privilege to be get to know him and his family these last 10 or 12 years. Um, and so I-, I want you to watch this video clip for just a second as Mike comes in just a moment. I think my experience being able to win a national championship, I use that a lot. I mean, ju- just being in those big situations, you know, we're trying to prepare these pitchers to, uh, you know, be-, be able to do well in the biggest spots, be able to deal with adversity. And if you can prepare for that, you should be able to be good in all situations. So. I think my experience there and pitching in some big games, you know, not only in college but in the minor leagues and in the big leagues, has really helped me know what it takes to be successful in those situations. And that's part of my, that's one of a big part of my job is to, uh, you know, give those guys the experience that I had and give them the confidence. Would you welcome Mike New, please? Welcome, my friend. It's great to see you today. Hey, uh, I just thought of this, a question. I got a couple, I got a lot for you, but one I just thought of, did you ever get that mitt back that you threw from college in the game? I think I did. I think I did get it back. I don't, I don't remember, to be honest with you. Okay. That's the last thing I was thinking about at that time. <laughs> I'm sure, but uh, it's kind of like after the fact, you go, man, I'd love to have that mitt, you know? Um, cool. Well, Mike, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. He, he pitched professionally for the Marlins and the A's. And so my question is always, Mount, give us one thing that you go, it was so cool getting to be at that level, to be in the show, in the bigs. 
Is there anything that just really stands out? Yeah, I think just, you know, growing up playing baseball and, and playing Little League, your, your dream is to play in the major leagues. And I uh, obviously got a chance to get drafted and play. And, and I think the moment, two moments probably I had were um, opening day with the A's, getting a chance to go on the field, get announced with the rest of the team on the, on the uh, third baseline and just look up and see your family up there and kind of know, all right, you know, I'm, I'm here. And, um, you know, I, I, I even remember driving to the park that day kind of thinking, you know, like no one told me not to show up. So I guess I'll just, <laughs> you know, be here. And that was pretty cool. And then, and then I think my first outing too, I, put, I pitched it in Texas uh, uh, against the Rangers and, um, you know, just running out to the mound after warming up, you know, thinking like, man, this is my first outing ever. And, and then I was kind of thinking after that, like, man, I don't know how I'm going to pitch because I can't feel my legs right now. I was just so <laughs> nervous. Um, but those were two that you just remember. And then the, yeah. just the work that you put in and all the things, the time that went into that is probably what, you know, I remember the most. And, and it's what's helped me for coaching. Yeah, that's great. We, um, y you started after your injury and you decided not to try and rehab and continue because um, we had discussed that at one point. Um, you were the DVC head baseball coach, then they hired you at Cal to be the put pitching coach, and then the University of Pacific a couple of years ago hired you away to be their head coach. You were there for a uh, short season, uh, season or two, and then Cal hired you back to be their head coach. So kind of going full circle, how does that feel to be back there and everything? Yeah, it feels great. I mean, I'm from Northern California and just – you know, I think growing up, I was a Cal fan. I wanted to go to Cal. I mean, I ended up having a great experience at Miami, and, and I wouldn't change anything. But, you know, just I have that in my heart that I, you know, love Northern California. I love Cal, you know, and I just, you know, I'm honored to be the coach there and, and uh, you know, take it really seriously and enjoy, you know, that I get a chance to be a part of this area and, uh, you know, develop these guys and, and, you know, hopefully have a great program. So, um, you know, it, it, it's really special to me, and I hope I'm here as long as they want to have me here. Yeah, go blue, awesome. Um, how's the what, what's the prospects for this? Uh, you played a game yesterday in Reno, uh, uh, what they call fall scrimmage. How'd it go? It was good. We played really well. We won the game. Um, you yeah. know, it was a scrimmage, and you try to pretend like you know, hey, we're just trying to get better, but then you know, you want to win. Sure, so keeping score, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it it was a good day. It was a long day, but it was a good day, and and it is a good you know, it is a good team coming back. We have the national player of the year at Cal right now, which is a pretty cool. He won the Heisman Trophy for college baseball, and and he's a junior this year. He'll be drafted really high, and and we have a good uh, group of guys around him. Some really young pitchers that are really talented. So. Uh, we, we were a really good team last year, um, not, not quite good enough to make a regional. We were probably a one, one or two wins away and, and uh, hopefully get over the hump this year. Yeah, good, good. Hey, we, we're in this series. We're finishing up today, Team Creekside. And I've been a sports person all my life, as you have. And um, team is just really important. Now, you guys, you recruit. Obviously, the first thing you look at is talent, skill set. Uh, one of the things we do, we have a lot of talented people here that serve. After skill, which is the obvious one, are there intangibles or other characteristics that you look for to kind of supplement the skill set? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, obviously you're looking for talent and, you know, everybody at our level or at the professional level has, has tools, they have talent, you know, but then to look past that and kind of see what is going to make this guy's successful, you know, wh what's going to make, allow him to be the best in the biggest spots and in the biggest games. And, you know, you're just looking for guys that can deal with adversity, the guys that have that, um, the, the desire, that burning desire to be good and just want to, you know, constantly work on their skill and, and just have that uh, ability when things aren't going great, they can, you know, move on and, and um, you know, just want to get better. And, um, you know, the guys that do well are the guys that can do those things. So, you know, recruiting, scouting, you're trying to look for that beyond just the skill set. Um, talk to the coaches, you know, talk to people around him, see it in the game, how he deals with things when they're not going great. Hmm. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that you know are going to be successful and get better uh, at the highest level because we, we need them to do well in the biggest spots against the best players. Mm -hmm. And um, if they can't do that, that's going to be tough for us. So that's what I'm you know, searching for when we're going out there and it's a network, just talking to people, looking, seeing what everything we can find out about this guy to see if he's able to do that. And if he does, then we know he'll do well in our program and get better. Yeah, that's good. How important 
is attitude. Say even like an attitude as it plays like some of the top players. Does attitude even separate them at some point? And do some of the lesser skilled players, based on their attitude, can they be better, stronger, move ahead? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just we try to instill that in our core values. You know, that's just part of what we believe in, you know, and and it all, it, it, it ends up boiling down to attitude because we're going to talk about team. You know, the, one of the bi biggest core values we have is team, and that's going to be, you know, me, not me, it's about everybody else, you know. So everything we're doing is to develop a skill for the team. You know, that's going to have an attitude where we're going to help each other. We're going to do everything for each other. That's just part of what we believe in. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to believe in mental toughness. We talked about that recruiting, but we're going to instill it in our guys. You know, for us, the definition is uh, what's the next most important thing? You know, we, we talk about that's, that's the definition of mental toughness. So now in order to do that, you have to have the right attitude. You know, part of that we say, you know, be where your feet are. You need to know exactly what's going on, what's mm -hmm. most important at that time. And, and if you don't have the right attitude, there's no way you're going to be able to perform that skill. Um, so, you know, those are the things that we really try to talk about with our guys, get them to buy into um, leadership. You know, that's that's a big part of it. The ability to make those around you better and more productive. That's our definition of leadership. I mean, if you don't have that attitude, how are you going to make anyone better and more productive yeah. around you? So I, I think those are the things we just talk about on a daily basis. We talk about it from day one. And then the guys that are older in our program know how important that is. And then they talk to the younger guys. They work with those guys. They they instill that in them, and we talk about it daily, and we live it, and then that's just who we are as a program. Yeah, and you used a word last time that I think is one of your kind of mantras was uncommon, yeah. that you guys want to be uncommon. I think that's such a powerful thing you shared on that, too, because that's what we want to be. You know, anybody can be the same church, but there's something about being unique in what we do and uncommon. Just share just a little bit about that, what that means for your team. Yeah, I think that's, you know... Obviously, we have a skill level. Every one of our guys has a skill set, and we know what that is. Uh, you know, now for us to be good, we have to perform above that skill level. That's our job as a team, our job as coaches. So, you know, every single one of our values, we want to have an uncommon dedication to skill development. We want to have an uncommon dedication to mental toughness. If for us to be better, you know, than, than what our skill set is, we got to perform above that, and it can't be normal. You know, and we, we talk about that a lot because everybody else is working the same amount of time as we are. They're doing the exact same things that we're doing in the weight room, on the field. But if we can be uncommon in our development of skill, in our commitment to each other and team, uh, in our leadership skills and our mental toughness, that is going to what allows us to perform above our ability level. And, um, and our guys are really bought into it, and it's what we believe, and it, it really does make a difference. Uh, you know, even the little things th that we do, we talk about when we have a game, we'll have our game notes and talk about things that are important. And we want our guys to get excited about the uncommon little things that we yeah. do. You know, if a guy just, you know, even a catcher that just something no one in this room would probably notice, you know, but the way he receives a pitch really well, that's, you know, he's focused as he's locked into it, and we get excited about it because that's an uncommon detail that we're paying attention to, and our guys really buy into it and, and enjoy that. And then they know we're all in the same, we're talking and speaking the same language. Yeah, well, that's powerful. I love that. Um, this is a volunteer-intensive environment. Um, what would you say that would probably, you've kind of been here for a number of years, what would you say would be core to building Team Creekside? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think a lot about it with, with our team is that, you know, everybody has a role, and, and those roles are so important. And, you know, we have the National Player of the Year on our team right now, and he's the best player in the country, and he obviously has a role. But we have freshmen on this team that are going to have roles, and we value those roles. We value their development. And, you know, we have donors and alumni that are, you know, we have don donors that will donate over a million dollars a year, and then we have donors that donate their time uh, to our program, whether it's serving for our golf tournament or just coming in to help out on a work day at our field. And, and all those things we value the same way. And, and I think that's, you know, what makes us special and, and what can make Creekside special is that everyone has something that they can, you know, that we all value the same, yeah. but it, it may be at a different level and um, it, it doesn't mean it's not, it's insignificant. Yeah, wow. I kind of thought he was going a different direction there for a moment, like he was going to go, and we got the best pastor in the country. But um, <laughs> I, I did said say last <laughs> service I was going to say that. I forgot again. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I, I, didn't, I didn't want you to go away thinking, ah, what a liar. Um, uh, but but did, did you get that? I love that. Everybody's got a place. 
And, uh, and listen, if there's any million-dollar donors in here, <laughs> just come see me afterwards. And, uh, but no, it's, you, you, did you hear that? It, it doesn't matter. Everything is valued the same. Um, and that's why even we do have some donors here. But we don't raise them up per se because everybody is valuable in what they do. Everybody here is a 10 in something. Um, uh, last question, Mike. I, um, you're in Berkeley. You're at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, we have some Berkeley grads here, go blue. But it's a very unique place to minister and uh, very unique mindsets. And uh, what, I'm, what I'm so thrilled about is Michael has brought uh, some of his players to Easter, others to different services. And uh, that's a pretty, I, I feel like that's probably a pretty big stretch for a coach to ask. And some of the things he said about this early were so moving. Um, how do you minister in that environment? You know, obviously, probably easy to be made fun of or whatever, but you called me, even uh, one of your players went through a tragedy, and you called me and said, hey, PT, this is what happened. This is what I did. Is there anything else I can do? And I was so impressed because I just said, well, let me pray with you because everything you did is what I would say to do. And But he cares about his players. Tell me how you minister in that environment. Yeah, I mean, I think about it a lot, and then I, I know also, I think part of the reason I got into coaching is because I know, you know, what an important time of my life it was, you know, while I was in college and trying to yeah. understand, you know, what was important, and, and I, I did spend a lot of time with our co with my coaches, and, um, you know, we spend more time with these guys than their parents do at this point, you know, so, um, you know, I know that I'm here, I'm in this position for a reason, and God's put me in here for a reason, and I, and yeah. I just you know, want to honor God with my life. I know that I can't, you know, force anything on them. I can just live my life the way God wants me to live my life, and I'm going to make mistakes, just like everyone makes mistakes, but I'm going to try to do everything I can to be there for these guys. Uh, you know, we set up a chapel on Sunday with uh, Athletes in Action on campus, which has been amazing for a lot of the guys, and then just really just try to love them, you know, yeah. and um, it's, it's pretty cool just to see these guys because they don't always – you know, have that, you know, so, so for them to know that, you know, that our coaches and, and myself care about them or are here for them and, and just love on them, you know, it, it's, it means a lot to those guys and yeah. to me too. Yeah. I think that's awesome because there's a lot of coaches that just coach and do their thing and, and get out. Um, when I was in high school, I used to collect autographs and get autographs on everything. And I haven't done it since I was in high school, but I, I have a baseball in my office um, that I, it was a, um, foul ball that I got at an A's game and so last service I asked him to sign it and uh, so he gave me some swag last year when he came back and so now I'm going to ask him if he would sign uh, a cow hat so that I can keep these two keepsakes in my office and I do this because of a great respect for this young man and uh, it's a privilege for me to be uh, pastor and friends so Thank you, my friend. Uh, let's pray for Mike and his ministry and his team and that God blesses him and, and uh, does exceedingly abundantly beyond what he could ever think or pray for and that they have a great year. Father, thanks, Lord, for our brother, our friend. And uh, Scripture says, Lord, that you give us the desires of our heart when we follow you. Scripture says that you put us in places where we can serve people that are way ahead of us or above us in the stratas of society, and you've done that and you're doing that with Michael. And I thank you, Lord, for the humility of his heart and his life. He doesn't promote himself. He just simply does a job, and he knows that it's purposed within him by you, and he gives you all that praise and glory. And we're just privileged, Lord, to have him as part of our lives. And I pray this year you'd bless him. You'd give him great opportunities for ministry to students, to the student-athletes, to administrators, whoever is in his relational orbit. And yes, we're going to pray for a successful, great year for the Cal Bears baseball team. Lord, thank you for his life. Thank you for his family and their relationship to our church. We give thanks in your name. Everybody said amen. Would you give Mike a big hand again? Thanks, my friend. Lord bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, that was pretty rich. I, uh, in, in both services, I was just, uh, and don't take that, okay?
I had some people looking at my ball last service, and it's now locked away in my office. Oh, I, I didn't, at uh, first service I said this, but you know, um, uh, Mike said he could, you know, get you some really like $100 seat baseball tickets up close for nothing. So, <laughs> something like that, I don't know what the cost is, but um, they're good tickets, it's a fun stadium to go to, and we're going to take a little staff day to go this year and have some fun. But if you want some, um, you can probably talk to Mike, and I'm sure he'd score you some tickets, and it's great to take your kids to a fun environment. So encourage you to do that. Lord, thanks for your word as we kind of conclude this service and this day. Speak to us, challenge us, and Lord, we ask that our lives could be a blessing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, would you turn to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. You know, for many, uh, for many in life, life is about climbing a ladder. It's about upward mobility. I oftentimes kid uh, and I always say every move I made from, uh, from the time I left college was basically downward mobility. And it really was. I mean, everywhere I went, it was always kind of a backward step. And yet God always blessed it. And I'm thankful that Trina stayed with me because every time I would say, let's go do this, she'd go, oh, no, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go backwards. And, and we always move forward. But a lot of people live for upward mobility, don't they? Climbing the ladder. You know, let's get the bigger check, let's get the corner office, let's get a grander title, more prestige. And there's nothing wrong with this unless that's the focus of your life, the bent of what you try and do, and that takes precedence and priority over everything else. Now, for others, they live in such a way that they say, I want comfort. I just want to find my comfort zone and hang out in that. So what do we do? We try and arrange our circumstances. We try and carefully and conservatively arrange our life so that we live in safety with few surprises and minimal inconveniences. And that is not a good way to live either. As a matter of fact, neither one of those are God's way to live. Jesus shows us, and we're going to look at it today, what it means to be downwardly mobile. And that's the way that he calls us to live. What's interesting to me is after a series like this or during it or whatever, over the years is people will often say to me, you know, you really upset me. Uh, some of you will have used other words that I won't repeat from this sacred place. But then you say, you know what? Thanks for challenging me. Because it's made a big difference in my life. It's helped me to get out of my comfort zone and really see that God can use me in areas of my life and in areas of the church and ministry. They say, thank you for showing me that love isn't always comfortable. It isn't always convenient, but it's usually exciting and very challenging. How many times have, have we seen our Mexico team come back and we see pictures and we hear about the home being built and the poverty that they step into. And some of you had said, thanks, PT. I didn't always like it, but thanks for doing that because now whenever I go and spend a week in Mexico, I never forget when I leave or when I'm going through uh, the poverty that I see on the way to the resort. And it really touches my heart. And some of those people that have said that have now made trips to Mexico to serve. Some of you have served, many of you serve at church on Sunday mornings or at some event and you say thanks because I've gained such a greater appreciation for what really goes on and what it takes place here to minister week in and week out. Or they'll say something like, you know something, because I got on a team, because I got on a serving team, I now built better, deeper, stronger, more fulfilling relationships with more people. Thank you. Ministry can oftentimes be inconvenient, uh, but most of the time it's much more exciting when you really get into it and find something to do that God's kind of wired you for. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1 today. Paul's writing from a, a Philippian jail. And what's interesting about that is as he's writing from this jail, there's two words that he continually comes back to in this, in this, this four chapter passage. He says things like he talks about mind and he talks about joy. 
And if you're like me, I'm thinking, how in the world can anybody be in jail and talk about joy and keeping your mind straight? But that's what he does. And we're going to look at a passage where he really, you know, he unpacks the, mo the downward mobility of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And I want us to look at that this morning. So start at uh, Philippians 1, verse 27. Paul's in the middle. It's always difficult to interrupt him. But he says this. He's been talking about life and death and how for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to stay here for you. Oh, but man, I want to die and go be with Christ. He says, I'm torn between the two. And then he says this. He says, verse 27, but just this one thing. I love those words. Just one thing. And he says this. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind doing what? Working side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just one thing. I want you to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel that when people see you, they go, man, I, there's something different about them. There's something that I want about them. And then when I come again, when I get to see you, I want to know that you're standing side by side and you're serving together because when you serve together, it isn't just to make a better place. It isn't just to have a, a group together, but it's, it's really about serving so that you can promote and pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he says some more things and then he comes to chapter 2. And he says this, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, these are going to be some rhetorical questions that he's saying. It's kind of like, no kidding, absolutely. If there's any encouragement in Christ, no doubt. If there's any consolation of love, absolutely. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, you bet. If there's any affection and mercy, thank God. Then because of those things, he says, fulfill my joy. By thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Because of all these things that have happened, have the same goal. What is that? Well, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Oh, boy. Well, the key is found in verse 4, how you do verse 3. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Imagine if we came every Sunday and we weren't going, feed me, feed me, feed me. Oh, I hope I feel good at worship. Oh, I hope somebody serves me. I hope somebody comes up and talks to me. What if we came and we begin to come in and we go, man, this morning, I know it's been tough, man. The kids weren't kidding very well and, and yeah, the toast burnt and it was not it but I'm here but as soon as we come on this pavement we start thinking I wonder if God would give me an opportunity to be able to pray for someone God would give me an opportunity to be able to minister to somebody to serve somebody to help somebody maybe give a ride maybe take out the lunch maybe whatever but we came not because we want to get served but because we want to be people who serve because when you do that, when you look out for the interests of others, it's incredible the more humble we become. Well, then he goes on, he starts talking about Jesus, who's our ultimate example. He's our mentor in this. He says, make your attitude that was that of Christ Jesus. Well, what's that attitude? Okay, let's, let's look at it. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God, as something to be used for his own advantage. <laughs> he didn't go, oh, you know, there wasn't two heel marks from heaven to earth, you know. He, he wasn't grabbing and saying, God, I don't want to go, you go. Father, I don't want to do this, you do it. No, he said, okay, I'm going to embrace this. I am God, but I'm going to embrace this. And then he says in verse 7, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of, of a servant, taking on the likeness of men 
And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Well, why is that so important? Why would he kind of reiterate that? It wasn't just about death, but death on the cross. Because he wants to communicate really two things there. What he did to die the most excruciating, awful death that a man could ever experience at that time, but also because it was death on the cross by humbling himself he moved us into a redemptive nature with him that we could experience the forgiveness of sin, the freedom from our sin nature and begin to experience new life in Christ. And for this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus and every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth everywhere, this is what's going to happen. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. He says, you know what? You can do it now or you'll do it later. There's the benefit and blessing of it now. Not so much later, but it's going to happen because there's going to come a time in every person's life where they're going to go, you are God. You are God. So Paul exhorts these people, though, starting in verse 1, chapter 27. The, the, word, the, the verb there, when he's talking about conduct, present your, um, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's really the idea of politics, citizenship. Paul's writing from a jail in cosmopolitan Rome during the Roman Empire that's very major and very, you know, it's, it's everything. It's like I'd be like San Francisco or New York uh, in their time. And he says, you're out there in Philippi, but here's what I want you to do. Never forget the privileges that you have as a Roman citizen. Give yourself to understanding the privileges and the responsibilities that you would live like a Roman citizen even though you're far away. Why does he say that? Well, because he says, I want you to conduct yourself like a Roman citizen, the privileges and the responsibilities. Because in chapter 3, Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. But we're far from our homeland, heaven. We're still living here on earth. And he says, I want you to live, though, here like you're supposed to live in heaven because that's what, what's going to begin to minister and meet people where they are. So he comes to chapter 2 and he's really sharing with us what I just read. What are the manifestations? What are the attributes of a person, the attitudes of someone who's living here like they live there because they're a citizen of there? What does he say? He says, make sure your attitude is that of Christ Jesus who is now in heaven. Well, we talked about it briefly at the closing of last week. What's the definition of attitude? It's a settled way of thinking. It's a feeling about someone or something that typically one has that ultimately becomes reflected in a person's behavior. So it isn't just a thought. It's not just the way they are, but it shows in their actions and their behavior. In this passage, we see clearly that Jesus lives out these attitudes that were reflected in his life, <clears throat> excuse me, through his behaviors. If you read Philippians over and over, again, there's two things he talks about. He focuses on our mind. Why is that? Because it's always our mind that's more important than our feelings. So many of us, aren't we? We get ruled by our feelings. Paul says, no, your mind first, you feel second. Don't feel first and think your mind's going to follow. Because attitude is critical, loved ones. And Paul is saying here, have this same mind together. And the attitude is found in the attitude of Christ here of Philippians chapter 2. What does he say? What's the attitude that we're to have? Well, he says, in your thinking and in your mind, make sure you release a couple of things. What are they? Number one, selfish ambition. This is simply a self-focus. The vernacular would be someone who's a ladder climber. It's all about you. I want to move forward. And hear me, it doesn't even have to be in the business world where you're a ladder climber. It's just your life generally. It's where your mindset is really all about you. You look out for number one or you're four and no more. Once you get on the ladder, have you noticed? If I, I don't do ladders anymore. I said at 55, I wasn't going to get on another ladder unless there's like 12 people around it. And, you know, like a, one of those things that the firemen have, you know, when you jump. <laughs> yeah, because I got friends, you know, a lot of their parents have died on ladders. 
But when you get on a ladder, what are you doing? So you don't fall, you're looking up. And you never see anybody that you think is below you. And that's why he says you've got to put away selfish ambition. The second thing he says is you've got to put away vain conceit, which is simply empty pride. It's where you put yourself and you self-promote yourself. Why? Because this breaks down community. It leads people to begin to compete with one another instead of completing one another. And you know me, man, I'm as a competitive person as there is, but there's a place to compete. But in a community like this, our calling, we're not competing. That's what I love about this. We don't compete with one another. We're completing one another by what we do and how we do it with each other because we work side by side. But then he talks about these attitudes to grasp. First one, he says, I want you to have humility. It says Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself. You ever notice how the Bible, it always says, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know why that is? Because God doesn't want to have to humble you. I don't want to be humbled by God. How do you do it? Well, what does it look like? It just means you begin to do these things. You, you put other people's first. You put aside your own stuff. You begin to do the things that Jesus says. God doesn't want to humble you. Because if he does, here's what I've seen. It's usually not very private, but very public and somewhat humiliating, which is where the word humble comes from. But when you do it, God covers you and he allows you to be what? First uh, Peter 5 says that when we humble ourselves, it says that he exalts us in the proper time. He begins to lift us up. I love that. And so many of us, when we've humbled ourselves, we begin to see how God lifts us up and we go, man, where did that come from? He says, consider others better. In verses 3 and 4, he says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but to the interests of other. Consider yourselves better than yourself. Hmm. How? Well, you begin to realize that everyone around you is better than you at something. And when you're on the ladder, all you're doing is looking to get to the next place. But when you are able to look around, and I can begin to look at people, and I can go, wow, oh, man, Clem, he's better than me in this area by a long shot. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and then Tanya, man, she's, she's so much better in this area. Or, you know, Brian, man, he can do this. See, if, I, if you ever see me, like, you think I'm just kind of getting a little big for myself or a little puffed up? Just all you got to do is come up to me and go, hey, PT, I want you to do something for me. Go, yeah, yeah, what is it? I want you to sing a solo next Sunday. <laughs> okay? Because that will go, that will suck the air right out of me because I, you know. And sometimes we begin to think, oh, I'm, I'm all of this and a bag of chips over here. But, but there's always somebody better. And when we understand that and we consider other people, wow, it gives us a healthy attitude. Because every one of you loved ones, I, I mean this, every one of you is a 10 somewhere. Well, man, all I can do is pick up garbage. I'll bet you're a 10 doing that. If that's all you can do, be a 10 at it. Now, verse 4 is the key to verse 3. It says, I esteem, I prefer others better to the degree when I enter into their world as Jesus enters into ours. Because when we do what Jesus did, we get the focus off of me, and I begin to want to listen to the story, to the narrative of another person's life. I want to begin to serve them, step into their life instead of simply being served. And when you do that, when you do that on a Sunday morning, when you do that during the week at your work, guess what? Your compassion quotient will begin to enlarge because your heart begins to get unfocused on self and focused on others because that's how Jesus lived. And again, the issue, it isn't based on how we feel. It's based on how we think. So when you go into a situation, you're going to either feel like, oh, man, I just need to be served. I need to be taken care of. Or you're going to go in and go, man, I want to serve. I want to minister. I want to help. I want to be a blessing. I don't just want to get blessed. And it's amazing how blessed we get when we bless others. Now here, notice Jesus' downward mobility. Now, <clears throat> as we read this, most New Testament scholars believe that this was a hymn in the church. That they were so moved by it that they would literally sing this. 
What does it say? That what was the, what's the message in Philippians 2? Well, we see the downward mobility of Jesus where first of all it says he emptied of himself. This is a big doctrine called the doctrine of kenosis. It's the doctrine of emptying himself. I won't get into it right now, but it's just when he, he, he divested himself of all of his divine privileges. He was still God, still man, uh, but he emptied himself of those things. Secondly, he took on the form of a servant. And next step down was he's made in the likeness of humanity. Fourthly, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And then five, he took on the most painful and humiliating death at all, naked, nakedly nailed to the cross. And it says that he was emptying himself and not grasping. Don't consider equality something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. I, I don't like that word, nothing. You ever just wanted to be nothing? Have you ever walked into a situation and just said, I am nothing. I'm going to be nothing. No, we don't like that. Imagine. Now, in the worth chart of the universe, where would the job title rank God, creator of the universe. Because that's Jesus. God, Hebrews tells us that he spoke the world and it's held in existence by his words. That's pretty high on the org chart, don't you think? It's tough to get a promotion after your God of the universe. So what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to take a demotion. And it says he made himself nothing. Why? Well, for you and I. Imagine walking into a boardroom and say, I'm nothing. Imagine walking and going into a, an awards banquet. I'm nothing. You get laughed out of there. Because when you go into a boardroom, you want to be in control. You want to be in charge. You want to make the decisions and the dictates. When you go to an awards banquet, you want to go, yahoo, give me the awards. No, I'm going to make myself nothing. That's what Jesus says. That's what we're called to do. Jesus made nothing. He willfully, he deliberately determined to be nothing. He stripped himself of everything and he crossed the unthinkable chasm from God to man, from heaven to earth. These were immeasurable. It was never done before and it was never done since the person of Christ. He chose downward mobility, giving up every divine right that he had. Now he becomes a human. He becomes like you and me. He becomes flesh blood, a man. Now he's got to use doors. He's got to ride donkeys. He's got to eat and sleep without a home. He's got to obey a mom and dad, son of God. Whew. He traded heavenly worship for earthly curses and being spit in his face. He exchanged holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty for, this is a crazy man. He's off his rocker. He goes from God of the universe to the restrictions that you and I face in the flesh. He faced the cross, a blood-stained, broken body, abandoned by most of his followers in the end. He had nothing of his life to pass on except what we understand now to be his eternal life. In the end, he was sinless. And he took on our sin and he soaked himself in it and stained himself with it. Listen, loved ones, never forget Jesus is, this was a violent downward mobility. And he did it because of you and me. But there's another rung. Mother Teresa said it well, one of my heroes of the faith. She said, you are never too small for God to use, only too big. I love that. Because you know what? That's really true. A lot of us go, oh, I'm too small for God to use. But really what we're saying is there's pride. We're, pri we're, we're afraid to take our time. We're afraid to use our talent. We're afraid to step out because really we're too big and we don't want to face it. You're never too small, only too big. What is Jesus? What's the bottom? He says, he's, I became a servant says he took on the very nature of a servant. He comes down, he becomes a servant from God to servanthood, serving you and I. I mean, even the angels in heaven are servants and he goes lower. He becomes a human being and he takes on flesh and blood. He takes on us. 
And guess what he does? He takes on our limitations and then he says, I'm going to go live among them. This is the doctrine of the incarnation, which simply means Matthew 1, 21 and 23, where it says, Emmanuel came, excuse me, God with us. <laughs> Who wants to serve? Most of us want to be served, not serve, not Jesus. His mission Mark 10, 45, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom to die for everyone. Serving and self-giving love turns out to be the most godlike thing a human being can do. And so Jesus starts this little community that really doesn't like serving. The brothers, the disciples, what do they do? A couple of times, they're arguing. Who's the greatest? Who's going to carry the big stick? I'm more important. I want to be at the right hand. And Jesus probably is going, oh, my goodness. You know, come on, give me some real guys. Give me. And he does that. You know what? We don't like to serve. My staff doesn't like to serve me. You know, I mean, every day I expect that I come in, I expect a $1.09 coffee from McDonald's, black, no sugar, no cream, to be on my desk. And by golly, they do it, or otherwise I get ticked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. You guys are looking at me like, oh, boy. It's not true. I don't expect that. As a matter of fact, sometimes just to remind me that that's what I'm called to do is to serve them. But see, sometimes we get in that place, don't we, where we expect. But life in the kingdom, loved ones, is like this. We have a hard time with this teaching just like the disciples do. But we are called to serve because the greatest place of our life is the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, serve. We don't need the big dogs carrying the big sticks telling everybody what to do, although there's places for that. So let me ask you, what's your servant attitude like? There's some here, you're not really engaged in the most eternal mission and highest stakes game in the town, which is the church. You can say politics, but no one's going to heaven because they're a Republican or a Democrat. You can say education, but nobody's going to go to heaven or hell because they, you know, got an MB, uh, you know, a graduate's degree, a doctorate, a master's. Attitude is critical on how you see, because most of the lives that change people around here, unfortunately, it isn't even a sermon. It's because they see Jesus in you, how you serve and how you love. This attitude thing is really important. When I was in junior high school, I started playing basketball, and I had a, we had some good teams, junior high, seventh grade, eighth grade. Man, they were good teams. Uh, and then our freshman year, we were in the best teams. And then an interesting thing happened. We had attitude, we practiced, we loved it. And then my sophomore year, um, our, our, our JV coach was a, a dope-smoking, uh, miss-every-other-day-of-school, first-year teacher, basketball coach, hippie. <laughs> it's no exaggeration. And our team did really poorly, and we got kind of resentful and upset and blamed everything and everybody, and he was a major part of it. Then we went to varsity the next year, my junior year, and the coach was old, he was bad, they hadn't had a winning uh, season in years. And so we went from being losers our first three years to our last two years, uh, our sophomore and junior year, we just lost about everything. And then there was a man that came, his name was Jim Bear. He came to our high school my senior year and became the basketball coach. The man was incredible. He was small, but he was authoritative, and he came in and he changed the culture Clackamas High School basketball in a matter of months. I loved the man because we started off losing like crazy as we had been the previous two years, but halfway through, we started winning again and we started having fun and experienced the joy of what it was all about. I was a junior in uh, Bible college, which would have been five years later. And I was reading the uh, Oregonian, which is like the East Bay Times down here. It's a uh, paper that goes throughout Oregon. And he was, uh, there's a picture here, you'll see him, he's in the front row there, uh, second from the right. Uh, his name is Jim Bear. he was my coach. Five years later, he becomes 
the all-metro coach in the area because it was the first time that Clackamas High School had ever made the state championships. What caught my attention is I was really proud of him because I actually worked with him for a year after high school being a graduate assistant. He said this in the article. It was the last thing in the article. And you, you'll see it up there, but you can't probably, most of you can't read it. It says this. The first group of kids that I had at Clackamas was a very talented group. He's talking about our team. But there were uh, so many things other than pure physical skill that we had to work on in those uh, earlier years. Things like attitude, poise, and confidence. These things are hard to develop, and we're still working on them now. It's been a real challenge. I find it interesting that he started off with attitude. I kept this because this became a constant reminder for my life about attitude. You know what? You can have a lot of talent. And that's why I asked Mike to kind of address that. You can have a lot of talent, but a lot of times attitude can separate the really skilled against the not so skilled. Some of us are in that same boat today. We got skills, we got gifts, but we're not using them because of our attitude. You might even be here this morning and mad because I'm talking about this. <laughs> and I say this with great pastoral love, I know. Any Sunday can have. But can I say something about that? That's probably your attitude coming out. And if that's your attitude, it's always going to affect you. And you'll never be, and you might be the most skilled person here in singing or organizing or administration or being nice to whatever it is, but if your attitude is that and not that of Christ Jesus, then it's going to affect your skill set and how far you can go. Because a lot of people don't like this, but here's the deal, and I say this all the time. If you're called to Creekside, you are called to serve, not because of Creekside, but because of the Bible. And I said it last week, there's times where I get it, you've been burnt out and you just, there's not one more thing you can add to your schedule. I'm not talking to you. I talked about the luxury box last. I'm talking about those who are still in the luxury box. You're on the sidelines and you know God's speaking to you. And I want to be the pastor that just lovingly comes and crowds you just a little bit. I want to say thank you to every person that serves. I want to say thank you to the people that signed up last week. But I'm going to give you my final plea this week that if you're not serving, what is the Lord saying to you? Jesus entered the game of life for us, and he didn't hold back. He gave his life and his best for you and me. He could have tapped out, and you know what? He continually tapped in, and he calls us to take on the same attitude. I said it last week. Everybody in this room is a minister because a minister is simply someone who serves. Where are you serving? How are you serving Jesus with your life? Could you imagine if everybody at Creekside gave at least like one hour a week to serve? Can you imagine the difference we can make? And I'm not talking about just in here on Sunday morning for us. I'm talking about for us to be able to be side by side for people to experience the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they step onto this campus and they go, whoa, those people really like what they do. That's weird because they're serving. Some of you are here for a whole three hours or four hours a Sunday, but you love it because that's what Jesus is doing because we're taking on like him. We're being servants. I want to just have you quietly stand with me. I so love the heart of this church and I'm so thankful for the people that serve. But I want you, everyone, I want us all to be able to grow together side by side. And we're all becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, maybe there's somebody here and 
you didn't know that Jesus did all this for you. And you go, well, I don't get it, but I, I, I think I need to follow Jesus. And that's what it is. You don't invite him into your life to follow you, but you follow him. And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to say, Jesus, thank you that you would have come and you died for my sins. You gave your life on the cross so that I could live and pick mine up. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to do that today. And just simply say, this is, it's, it's this simple. It's a start. God, forgive my sins and I want to follow you. And I want to serve. I want to become like you because of all that you did for me. I invite you to do that today as we pray. Some of us, others, we've got to go, okay, what is the next step for me? Where do I need to engage in serving, giving of myself because of the one who served for me? I believe the Lord will speak to every one of you today, tomorrow, this week, if you'll simply ask him and be open. There'll be this voice inside. There'll be this sense. Let's move here. Let's go there. Let's do this. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning. And Lord, first I want to pray if anybody here has never made a decision to follow you, that today would be the day where they understand they're kind of missing. They haven't made a decision to follow you. But they know they need something. They know they're missing something. And it isn't all about us, but it starts with us. And Lord, this internal work of God's spirit that lets us know that we're lacking and we're needing. Sometimes it's because our sin is just so boldly in front of us. Sometimes it's because there's an emptiness that is so great within us. And that's your spirit working to let us know we need something bigger, greater, grander, holier than our lives. And if there's anybody here today that says, I, I, I think that's me, I invite you to make a decision and just say a simple prayer. God, I am a sinner, but I want to embrace your son and I want to follow him. The one who served me, I want to serve. And that's where it starts, friends, with that prayer. And then make a decision to do that. For others of us, the Lord speaking to you, to us, about stepping out, getting out of the luxury box, into the game to make a difference. Not be a pew sitter, but to be a person engaged in the highest stakes game in town. And Lord, we, people know that there's things out there we can help you with. So Father, allow there to be a gravitational pull of our heart. That because we empty ourselves, we're not focused on self. We're simply following you. And Lord, give us an ability to be able to move and to step out follow you, serve you. Again, thank you for a church that's committed to that. I pray great blessing upon all those who serve. I pray, Lord, for those to come forward. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. Would you sing with us as we close and you'll be dismissed.